0: back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast, John. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Even though the topic is going to be scary oriented, it's going to be a fun chat. Oh, and thanks, Robbie, for in- inviting me onto this show. Would you like to introduce yourself to everyone out there listening?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. My name is John Tolson. I'm a a film critic uh, and uh, an author, and so far, I've sort of specialised in horror cinema, and uh, I. I first started publishing books in 2014, and the first book that came out was Subversive Horror Cinema, and I think that's the book, Robbie, that you you mentioned earlier that that we're going to be discussing or themes relating to that. But I've also written on other sort of areas of horror as well. Um, uh, I've written a monograph on Candyman, uh, a book on Dawn of the Dead. I wrote a book on 1930s horror cinema and my latest book is a book about um cult movies called 40 cult movies uh, a collection of essays on uh, a selection of cult movies from the 1930s onwards
0: i have to ask why you're interested in horror cinema like how would you, did you just always been a horror fan
1: yeah i think a lot of it arises from that i was always a movie fan uh, from from childhood, I liked all sorts of fantasy. As a kid, I used to read fantasy, Jules Verne and H.G. Wells, and read comics. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I grew up in the nineteen seventies in England, and horror was really in the firmament. Horror was on television; it was even on sort of children's television in the seventies. And t- TV shows uh, like Children of the Stones and so on, which I think you know any you uh UK listeners of a certain age will probably be familiar with so i kind of grew up into it i was a, a film fan but i liked all stuff i like, uh, you know james bond movies and uh anything to do with uh adventure action adventure but i think the horror i don't know it i think it perhaps kind of got into uh, under my skin in a way because i was quite an anxious kid so i think um horror really kind of um i connected with that of all the genres, uh, the the closest. Uh, and then uh, from, from my childhood, I kind of uh, I went into filmmaking and started shooting my own films on 16 mil, not horror movies. I was kind of more inspired by directors like Ken Russell and Nick, Nicholas Roeg, that sort of tradition of British filmmaking. And from there, I went into teaching and writing and sort of, uh, kind of found my way into film criticism really uh, through this uh through this route of teaching and, uh, and and filmmaking uh and I think I just sort of again gravitated to to horror um because of that that sort of childhood connection. And just found when I started writing about horror, it just I just kept the more and more I wrote about it, the more I researched
0: it, the more there was to, to write about. So I just kind of kept going with it you look at how horror has evolved through time i mean you mentioned about writing something about the 1930s but do you look at like what scares us i've always been obsessed with that like how it can range so wildly but then there's still some things that scare i think all of us the same
1: yeah i think what really interests me is the sort of cultural context of horror so there is an element of me investigating my own you know what scares me Personally, and therefore, what scares other people, but there's, uh, uh also that that thing about looking at why you know how has horror evolved and how does it sit within a sort of wider cultural context, uh, particularly in sort of the United States and the UK. And as I mentioned, sort of growing up in the seventies in England was a very you know interesting
2: time, uh, quite a um politically quite a tumultuous time you
1: know with uh margaret thatcher coming into power in the 1970s it was the minor strike there was a lot of uh social unrest in this country as there was obviously in the states and other countries as well uh and i i guess i just had a little bit of a sort of antennae for picking up on the anxieties that going on around me that other people were feeling and that would sort of be the way the media was sort of uh, promoting uh certain levels of anxiety um things like the rabies scare uh, we had this big scare in the 70s uh, which was sort of quite a xenophobic thing really the idea that rabies might come over from france uh, and cause you know social collapse in in the uk um uh so yeah i, I think it, it, what's kind of interested me a lot is just really investigating horror as a as a whole genre i think i'm just kind of fascinated by the genre as a whole how it works its limitations it, its kind of crossovers to other genres and you know the whole issue of how progressive is it um what's, where does its progressive potential end uh, and the different how, how uh, different filmmakers have uh, come up over the over the years, over the different decades.
0: Can I ask about how, I guess, you would look at horror, like if you were going to take me through like understanding horror films. You mentioned the progressiveness of it. How do you tell the politics? And usually I'm just waiting for someone's head to get chopped off half the time.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the thing about, well, any film really is, of course, they're open to interpretation. Um, so one person can read put certain political messages into a film that another person might not read or another person might read very different messages into the film i've always been interested because maybe because i started as a filmmaker myself i've really been interested in following the careers of certain directors like romero jeff lieberman you know cronenberg or Carpenter, all of the the main people uh, into the sort of present day um New, new waves of, of directors, the rise of women directors, Indigenous filmmakers. So I think as well as kind of looking at the movies themselves, I'm very interested in um, looking at the ideas of the filmmakers, the people who are sort of involved in making the films. I don't really completely subscribe to uh, what's been described as a sort of reflectionist, view of horror the idea that horror simply reflects our fears you know i think that um filmmakers uh uh, i've met a number a number of filmmakers interviewed many filmmakers and without exception they're all extremely intelligent self-aware artists who look at what's going on around the world and and sometimes quite consciously incorporate um uh ideas or even sort of political um, events into their films, sometimes in a sort of allegorical way. But, you know, certainly I think most filmmakers are somehow influenced by what's going on in the world around them. And why shouldn't they? Because, you know, every artist wants to be relevant. You know, every artist wants to uh, somehow capture the zeitgeist because, um, you know, that's a way of getting an audience um so uh, as well as kind of looking at the films themselves and kind of offering a critics interpretation, I'm very interested in.
0: Well, what would you say the characteristics of a horror genre are?
1: Um, I, you know, there have been a number of theorists who've come up with different ways of sort of defining the genre. Uh, I think maybe Robin Wood gave a very succinct definition, which... He said the horror genre was defined by the idea of normality being threatened by the monstrous. You know, so there's there's that kind of sense of of a conflict going on
2: between people in the film who represent some sort of sense of normality, uh, who are challenged by
1: a disruptive force, this very negative force, which you know, kind of ultimately revealed that there's there's difficult to make the distinctions between the two. You know, what is monstrous, what is normal. Um, so I think that's probably the definition that's kind of always kind of stuck in my mind when I've when I've come to look at the movie. But obviously, uh, there are so many crossover films nowadays, and uh, it, it's very difficult to actually you know give any single hard and fast definition to what horror movie is because you've got the influence of so many different genres you know you've got comedy horror science fiction not just the hybrid but uh you've you've got films where horror is um not necessarily a sort of generic um trope within the film you know uh uh, such as the sort of uh, uh art house horror you know, where there's a kind of a sense of horror rather than just being, you know, the, the the typical monsters and so on.
0: It's crazy how they can make a place like a carnival uh, be associated with scary or just horror in general. I, when I see that, I usually you're supposed to think fun. It's got all the circus stuff. You're supposed to think good times. But now every time I see it, I'm like, I've seen too many horror movies more than I've actually seen carnivals. So it's like it, I'm always associating with like somebody. There's going to be a killer clown at some point. That's always just pops into my mind whenever I drive by one.
1: Mm. Well, I, it's very interesting you say that about carnivals. Uh, maybe in the states there's a greater tradition of, you know, traveling shows, the carnival, than there is in um, in Britain. But maybe there are some 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 you know some deep seated thoughts or, or perceptions about carnival life and car- carnival people that have, you know, come down over the years. The, the fact that, you know, you, you run off to join the circus, you know, that, that there's an old saying in in this country, uh, is that, you know, the, the idea behind that, that the circus is somehow something that exists outside of the normal kind of society. Uh, so I think there's there's a fascination there. About what actually goes on behind the scenes in carnivals, um, uh, but there's also a, a, a slight kind of uh,
2: um,
1: paranoia, maybe.
2: Uh,
1: the, 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 yeah, you know, the, the, the carnival people don't they don't uh, follow the same rules that uh, people who kind of live in cities and towns and oh, kind of live yeah. typical lives might follow. Uh, I guess there's also that sort of tradition of the freak show that sort of comes up through carnivals and the idea that when you go to a carnival you might be uh, confronted by something that really challenges your
2: um, sense of, of a sort of comfortable bourgeois normal life, you know. What do you think? You mean uh, how, it's interesting you bring up carnivals. What
1: what what uh, what's been your experience
0: of? I've only been to like three, I think, in my entire life, and they've all been under the age of like fifteen. So I would say that I, I mean I guess they're they're fun experiences. I never went to a I think what you would call what the word we're looking for is freak show or something. I've never seen that, but I think that's just people's adverse reactions to seeing something that isn't normal to them uh obviously we all picture two arms two legs but if you're exploiting someone that has like fish boy or something like that it makes me think of rob zombies house with a thousand corpses where he chops the dude in half and puts his lower or upper half on, on the lower half as a fish he's like see the merman the spectacular merman it's like yeah because we're just it's it's a, it's like being horrified at how disgusted you are which really makes you analyze yourself a little bit i mean does that make someone feel better But then there's, I mean, I don't know. See, when it comes to carnivals, there you got movies like It, like with a clown, whereas a serial killer. I don't find that scary at all. I don't know. Maybe some people have a, there's a large amount of people that have an irrational fear towards clowns. I don't know why, but it's a cultural thing. It's much like zombies. You can always toss that out. Usually, if I see a killer clown or if I see something like that, I immediately assume a horror movie, 100%.
1: Mm Hmm. I mean, I I agree. I I mean, I've never found clowns particularly frightening, but I mean, I know there've been so many movies about killer clowns, and then, but I, you know, maybe they do key into very childhood fears. You know, when you go to the circus, the clown is. Not exactly a comforting character to a child. I think it,
0: the clowns are kind of a fascinating character. Literally, what he gets paid to do—he's paid to make you laugh. <laughs> paid to make
1: you laugh, but there's something grotesque about clowns as well, isn't there? You know, the the whole thing with the nose and the, the pancake, the pancake makeup, and so on. You're kind of wondering what what's what's underneath it. You know, it's and I suppose it's you know the mask. The mask is a big horror. Characteristic, you know, every every sort of monster has a mask that kind of masks their true identity. Or you you, you kind of wonder what what is there behind the mask. And maybe clowns kind of keen to that as well. Have you seen a movie called The um, Funhouse from early 1980s? Toby Hooper, who did the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that's a, that's a classic. You know, a bunch of teenagers break into a carnival at night, uh, go into the fun house, but you know, uh, one of the
2: exhibits in the fun house is a sort of deformed, um, a sort of uh, and yeah, it's kind of almost like a, the Elephant Man kind of character, but but with
1: a, with a sort of killer instinct. Uh, so that that kind of plays into the idea of you know what is going on behind the facade of the uh, of of the, of the of the carnival you know and again kind of keys into that idea, idea that maybe in some way these people because they're not like us there's some of there's a sort of depraved in some way you know it's primitive uh, or you know they hark back to our sort of primal past. Kind of coming back to, to haunters. So yeah, very interesting movie. The The Fun house, one of Toby Hooper's best, I think.
0: How um different are the horror films from the 1930s compared to the horror films of today? I mean, you got tropes like Dracula, werewolves, things. I mean, we still have those today. It's just different technology that creates the those monsters, but i there's just to me i'm wondering if there's things that are the same and if there's things that are different and how different are they i I mean i'm looking for new stuff but it seems like zombies have always been a cultural thing it looks like at least in the united states uh you mentioned dawn of the dead earlier that's i mean i've seen the movie i didn't really like it um but you know that's a big thing walking dead's a big thing as well too
1: Yeah, well, before I talk a little bit about the 30s horror, I mean, I have to say that I think that the Dawn of the Dead, the influence on The Walking Dead is enormous. You know, the ideas that Romero puts forward in his whole series of dead films have really kind of been carried on uh, through The Walking Dead. You know, the whole idea of society's collapsed. How do we create a new society that's better than the society that has gone? You know that's that's the main kind of conflict uh, in Romero's films, and the main conflict in The Walking Dead is that they're always trying to battle against these um tyrants. You know, the people who set themselves up as uh as leaders or dictators, uh, and the whole uh, the whole idea is how how do we how do we move past that mindset uh, in The Walking Dead? But in answer to your question about how different are they the the films or what are the differences and similarities of the 1930s films and modern films well it's my contention that actually they're much more similar than uh is often made They're often made out to be especially the 1930s films uh and the, the book i wrote about the 1930s films was called the turn to gruesomeness in 1930s in the 1930s horror cinema uh, because um, what I found was that that very first flowering of the horror genre in the nineteen
2: thirties uh, was was as much influenced by the um, the sort of uh, the the tradition of theatre um, the, that
1: promoted gruesomeness, at the sort of turn of the century in in England and in France, uh, as it was by uh, the gothic novel you know and movies um from a sort of Frankenstein onwards, sort of traded on the idea of them being gruesome, and they were even sort of promoted using that term gruesome as much as they were promoted using the kind
2: of new, the newly uh developed uh, label of horror um uh, and it was it was partly to do with the fact that
1: in the 1930s uh, Hollywood was really struggling to get audiences and they were turning towards sensational film subject matter. So we had gangster movies and sex pictures uh, that sold movies, you know. And then when the horror genre came out with Dracula and Frankenstein and it really flowered, um producers would started to look at sort of making movies quite gruesome and of course we're talking about gruesome by 1930s standards but if you watch a movie like murder murders in the rue morgue um you've still got scenes where for example bella lugosi has got a prostitute tied up you know on a crucifix which is a pretty shocking scene even today was you know
2: 1932 uh and eventually those movies uh, got censored by the production
1: code administration in the late 1930s and the, when the 1940s came out the horror movies of the 40s were much more tame in terms of their kind of what was it, shown on screen they became much more um reliant on kind of shadows and suggestion and then it's kind of psychological horror sort of started to come in in the 40s with the val luton cycle and it kind of got forgotten really i think just how um movies in the th- 1930s sort of traded on gruesomeness um and then of course the horror genre in the kind of 70s once the, the production code had collapsed and censorship started to become relaxed more relaxed in the states and in england horror movies and other movies started to become much more explicit again and it's funny because history kind of repeated itself and you got a whole uh sort of chain of gangster movies coming out like bonnie and clyde and and then western movies that became explicit such as the wild bunch and soldier blue and then
0: horror movies became more and more sort of graphic and um gruesome So wait, the production code offices were aware at the time of the production code offices were aware at the time that uh, horror cinema was too gruesome that they wanted to censor it. I'm I'm aware of the censorship by the offices only on the basis of like communist views and things that would be more in the political realm but i mean even sex stuff that was a big thing that they wanted to censor as well too but usually you hear about the mccarthy era with like the red scare but i can't i mean it's interesting to me i never heard of them uh censoring horror in before
1: yeah they did and they did censor it they censored it alongside it's when the pca started uh uh, and really kind of the, the production code was reaffirmed and sort of tightened up when Joseph Breen came into office, and that was in late 1934. So the movies produced from sort of 1935 onwards was were, were subject to a much tighter regulation uh, of gruesomeness. And Breen managed to pretty much wipe out the gangster movie altogether and was and uh, actively trying to dissuade producers from making more horror movies by 1936. Uh, and then uh, in the United Kingdom, uh, the, the British Board of Film censorship, as it was called at the time, they introduced a, an X certificate, which, no, sorry, an, a, an H, H for, for horror or H for horrific. Uh, Basically, they're, they're just the um, they regulatory bodies just tried to persuade Hollywood not to make any more um, horror movies because they were just too controversial. They were causing a lot of problems with uh, pressure groups, church groups, and so on around the country. Um, so, as you probably know from 1936 to late 1938 1939 the studios pretty much stopped making horror movies in the united states and when they did start making them again there was a noticeable difference in the horror content you know uh, producers didn't try to put as much kind of sensational content into the films after after 1939
0: which do you think horror had a bigger conflict with when it came to groups you mentioned the religious groups um is that is that one of their biggest i mean i when did the boundary i guess for horror films really change like when you start seeing directors be more edgier uh kind of pushing that like maybe i should throw this in there maybe i should to get to the point that we're at now i would have to think that it would be if we talked about religion Just the amount of how we're not like so focused on it as much as like banning rock and roll was back in the day because they thought it was the devil's music. I would think now with what time we're in now, it's kind of people are pretty quiet about their religion in most groups. And a lot of people aren't offended by simple things that could be, you know, a head getting chopped or something like that on screen. It's not seen as demonic. But then we have every film in this culture right now is about demons or possession or something like that where I'm like, oh, my God.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think horror cinema has caused as much consternation for most religious groups and pressure groups as other genres, like, for example, the gangster movie or the sex film, because those films kind of, in a way, contravene religious, you know, traditional Christian values in a much more direct way. You know, sex before marriage and, uh, you know... uh, antisocial behavior uh and then again when we got to the 50s of course you know there was the rise of the teenager and and the so-called the sort of teen the juvenile delinquent uh sort of scare so the kind of rock and roll movies um, were kind of targeted as being uh you know a, a bad influence on on teenagers and, and encouraging just encouraging them to be cause trouble i mean around about this in the 50s i think maybe more significant in terms of horror censorship was the comics code in the 50s uh you know the the idea you know the idea that kids could read comics and they'd be uh depraved and corrupted by reading these comics uh and a lot you know you don't know whether it's because of the gruesome or uh imagery or whether it's just because a lot of those comics were quite subversive in their own way that EC comics employed a lot of writers that were very kind of cynical about what had happened in the second World War uh, who pointed to a lot of hypocrisy uh, in society in the in the 1950s and they're the kind of those old EC comics are kind of moralistic in a funny sort of way that if you're a bad person, you'll get punished by you know a, a ghoul coming out of the ground and getting you um and so it's hard to know exactly what the beef was with horror comics in in the 50s whether it was the gruesomeness and parents were going oh we we don't we don't think our kids should be reading these nasty comics or whether it was the kind of perceived anti you know anti-american sentiment you know <laughs> that the comics might be <clears throat> Thoughts are sort of Esper Uh I think the more, you know, in my in kind of my memory, living memory, uh, I think in the 1980s had a much more of a backlash against horror itself as a genre in England and also I think in America as well, maybe to a slightly lesser extent with the video nasties. Aurora, that happened in the 1980s in this country. What happened was uh, in the early 1980s, video recorders suddenly became popular. They became available to the average household. Uh, so people were going out and renting video recorders to watch movies at home for the first time. But the studios really weren't that interested in releasing their movies onto VHS, onto onto home video. So what happened in England was a lot of very small companies, independent companies, uh, bought a very cheap product to put out on home video. And a lot of these movies were low-budget horror movies made in the sort of 70s in in America. And uh, very kind of low-budget exploitation movies with a lot of gore and stuff like that talking about movies like I Spit on Your Grave and Driller Killer. and Crazy
0: titles, going out there, getting creative.
1: Yeah, Uh, which had become sort of infamous. Um, And what happened was that the media kind of seized upon the idea that these movies were not being rated or certificated by the British Board of Film Censorship. Uh, so they could conceivably be seen by anybody at home in the, you know, in the home, including children. And um, so there was a big worry, very similar to what, you know, the worry that you get with social media now, that the media, uh, you know, plays on this side and this moral panic creates and even creates, helps to create a moral panic that uh, the media or in the eighties, the VHS, um, you know, cassette was actually contributing to uh, causing harm to children, you know, depraving them and corrupting them. So a
2: number of films in this country were prosecuted under the Obscene Publications Act um, because they were thought that they might have a very negative
1: influence on Children in this country. So that caused a big bash, backlash against horror movies in the 1980s. And a law was passed called the Video Recordings Act in 1984 that um, stipulated that every movie uh, released on home
2: video had to be given a certificate. And that led to a number of horror movies being banned. Uh, in the uk uh and i think there was a similar sort of tightening up
1: in the states in the late 80s and early 90s uh in terms of horror movies and of course this kind of made its way back into the industry and sort of started to make it harder for for filmmakers to actually you know get their films distributed um so studios and um other producers who made a lot of money had to be said. You know, a studio like Paramount had made a lot of money out of a film like Friday the Thirteenth in the late nineteen seventies, early nineteen eighties. Uh, but they, after after about nineteen eighty four, they sort of stopped making as many horror movies
2: because they, you know found it hard to get them distributed, or there was you know. Uh, a taboo about them uh, and
1: i think it even affected directors like dario argento in europe you know that suddenly the horror movie was not considered to be a good investment you know but that's what happens when you cut off a marketplace which is what happened in in england in the early 1980s you know the the, the censorship was such that it pretty much cut off a marketplace for the horror and then the Video Recordings Act was tightened up even more. I think in the early '90s, following a number of uh, sort of uh, events that had happened in this country with killings and so on, but, and the media again tried to find links between those events and saying that kids had been influenced by watching horror movies. They'd been influenced to to go out and uh, cause crime. So it's kind of, it's all very very kind of unfortunate really, um, but I'll have to say that, that in living mem memory maybe the the video recordings act was the most uh, sort of damaging to the horror horror genre horror industry.
0: Do you believe in the influence at all from horror films? Oh, that the irrational fear they might have had back then. Do you kind of look at it and try and examine any realistic approaches to it? Like if it had any sense to it, or was it just kind of obscene and they didn't really Back then it was a very purist mindset, which a lot of people don't really realize, is that everything back then, like no homosexuality, it was very, very tight marriage, family, this type of ideal that they had in their mindset, which we've evolved from that. But that was the only type of thinking and anything outside that had to go away, had to go somewhere, but it couldn't stay here. Mm.
1: Well, I don't think it's ever been proven that there's any link whatsoever uh, between Uh, you know watching these films and developing any kind of antisocial behavior you know but there is a possibility uh, of a child being disturbed you know in some way by watching these films and i think maybe in most parents mind that's enough is you know the possibility that that there might be some kind of negative influence on a child i i mean I doubt many people would subscribe to the sort of tabloid press view that, you know, if a child might watch a couple of uh, video nasties and go out and, and, and commit a crime, I don't think anyone, most people wouldn't.
0: They say it about video games, but I don't know if I believe that. It's the same with
1: video games, you know. Uh, it, it, I suppose it, it depends on whether you think a person is able to discriminate between what they're seeing on screen and what might happen in reality. Now, that I mean, I I guess what what I could say is that almost all of those video nasties that were banned in the 80s are now freely available. Uh, And they don't seem to be causing (laughs) anyone to go out and (laughs) cause any crimes now. And you would assume that if they had that power uh, and influence over somebody, then irrespective of when... Which decade people watch those movies? They could be influenced by them, but the, you know the fact that they're out there now uh, and don't seem to be you know, influencing anybody to do anything antisocial probably suggests that a, f- a film in itself really doesn't doesn't have that power. You- and in fact, you know the, med- the media seizing on it and turning it into a, a moral panic. At it, in my experience, because I grew up through that. And in fact, I've seen most of the video nasties when I was a teen, early teenager. Most of them were just laughable, you know. Uh, and, and people really didn't take it that seriously at the time. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, friends and family and people who, who, who watch these films. It, but the media really kind of seized on it uh, and... Uh, if anything, they make people curious about it. You know, what's this all about? Let's go and watch a few video nasties, and people would watch them and uh, and just kind of go, "Well, it's really we don't really understand why there's so much." Uh, um, you know, they're causing so much fuss. I mean, I have to see say, say, looking back, thinking about the kind of things that were on the shelves. Uh, I think part of the problem was the marketing of these films and the kind of you know what was on the poster for these and what was on the video sleeve were the most kind of like the goriest scenes from the movie you know and when i think about kind of it it now the fact that you, uh, you know you would go into a video shop i'd go into a video shop at sort of 14 or 15 years old and just be kind of confronted by these um just very unpleasant kind of images uh i do i do think i uh, kind of looking back on it there there's a, there is a kind of something slightly unpleasant about the sensationalizing of movies by distributors you know that's kind of appealing to people's most base kind of instincts uh and and the, you know promising a lot more than they can deliver i don't know yeah i get you know we're all very fascinated by blood and guts and you know what you know, what happens to your body when it gets torn into pieces, and uh, I, and I think that you know appealing to that on a very base level uh, is it's just kind of crass commercialism, really. Uh, so that I mean, looking back on it now, I kind of think it would have been nice not to have been confronted with that kind of imagery as a kid. Uh, I don't think it harmed me. I just thought it was it was. Uh, lot yeah it was it was fun you know but in a very macabre way
0: you kind of feel bad for like being like oh this is kind of cool looking kind of like yeah Yeah. there
1: are other things that would have been better for me to
0: watch (laughs) i mean i have to say you know as as long as watch, you know as well as
1: watching microwave massacre or something i was watching is that a movie yeah uh, that was one of the video nasties or the evil dead which i you know is a good film as a you know you can't say it's not a very um, well-made film and in the EC tradition. But as well as watching those movies, I was watching things like Antonioni's *The Passenger* or Sabrisky Point* at the same time. And it, you know, I just think as well that the video, the video era, it was a time that really opened up the availability of films for people, and that was a really good thing, it was a very positive thing. That people, you know, uh, if you grew up in a small town as I did and have a cinema only three channels on the tv you really didn't get a chance to see that many films you know you only really saw a film when you went out to the city to watch a big movie Uh, but when video came in you could go down to the video store and get a movie every night get two movies every night three movies every night and and so it was a what you know people started watching movies and i think it fostered an appreciation of films Uh, a lot
0: of people well did at any point did the horror film genre during when they were being censored did they ever go underground and try and film like was there always like a i'm not going to say cult following but there's a large loyal fan base of simply horror fanatics that really appreciate the art of horror the genre of it so i'm curious if there was that kind of connection that we have today where there's a large amount of people that were interested in horror and did it have to go underground at any point
1: well, I'm not sure if it went underground as such. I mean, there are always those sort of tales of people who gonna go into a video store and ask for something under the counter. You know what I mean? Something that...
0: that's cool. That's really cool though. Yeah. Uh
1: I don't think I ever did it. Um but I kind of I saw all these movies before the video recordings act came in, so I kind of seen them all. And, um but in terms of uh, sent a kind of underground cult of, I think, of horror fans. I think, yes, you know, I think that, um, horror has always had a kind of a cool, a cool audience from the 60s onwards, you know, and a lot of it was to do with magazines, you know, like Forry Ackerman's uh, magazines that came out in the 60s, famous monsters of film land, you know, that and... and uh, Same kind of movie magazines like that. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to collect horror movie magazines like *A House of Hammer*, a movie and a magazine called *Quasimodo's Monster Magazine*. And I think that, and really, the movies might not be that available, but the cult of horror was really kind of kept going by magazines. I think in that in that era. Nowadays, I think the cult of horror really comes down to film festivals there's so many horror movie festivals now that anybody who's a horror fan will go and go to go to a festival and that's the way you might see the new movies before the kind of release before the streamed even uh, and that's an, another way that the sort of uh, the cult of horror is
0: uh, is kind of kept going who would you say has had the most impact into the horror genre?
1: As a filmmaker, or just as generally? a filmmaker?
0: Wow, well, I mean, that's a
1: big that's a, a big, big question. question. You mentioned
0: George Romero a couple of times, but he's like a monolith character or iconic with yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know if there's any individual who's who you could say is single-handedly <laughs> uh you know responsible for the for the ongoing sort of popularity of horror i think there is there are certain titans and when you kind of look back to the 30s they're probably more actors than directors you know the bella lugosi and boris Karloff, because you know everybody has heard of them you know even non-horror fans and you just have to say bella lugosi to somebody in the street and immediately it conjures up an old kind of horror movie So I think in terms of the classic horror movies, it's probably those two actors. Um, uh, I think when you kind of of get to the seven, you know, when you get to the sort of 1970s, I I think it it might come down to individual films rather than directors, because the most, you know, the average person on the street doesn't really know directors. Let's face it, okay? But everybody's heard of The Exorcist.
0: Oh, a hundred percent, man! I think that's a, that's a reference to a lot of people. So, you know, going, that's the yeah.
1: kind of a tentpole movie for horror. You know, for seventies. If you say to somebody on the street, "Name seventies horror movie," just anyone on the street, The Exorcist will probably come up. Something Exorcist, Halloween, maybe. You know, so I think in term, I think it's really about those kind of tentpole movies uh, in terms of the seventies. Nowadays, I don't know. What do you think? You were well, you, you, you talking about some interesting new movies out there. but
0: there, I mean, there, it just seems like I haven't really seen anything different than what we've seen before in the past. You know, I don't mind seeing a Frankenstein film. I really like that. But the last movie I can think of that had kind of like a different take than seeing the common werewolf film or vampire film or zombie film. It's oh, We were in a zombie point for a good five years, it felt like particularly around the time world war z came out i think they introduced zombies in a different concept where i was like if there ever is an apocalypse and that happens i hope it's not those guys because that you know you can't live with those they're running on top of each other and climbing buildings and but when you really examine the way that we are now looking at horror films it's taken a shift more towards the mental health side of things and it seemed like we steered away from it for a while. I think around the time in the early 90s, it was a lot of psychopathic killers, a lot of hitchhikers, a lot of things like that, that were things that were going on in the news a lot. It seemed like it was depicting exactly what everyone was kind of seeing when they turned on their television, a real actual fear that there could be someone that you could either pick up or someone could break into your house or something of that sort. And then we've now hit this point where it's about zombies and things that we... It won't happen, obviously, in our real lives, but then it started shifting towards mental insanity, Uh, people that were having certain psychoses or certain disorders that would have a freak out and go do something. Uh, The one I'm mentioning specifically is the M. Night Shyamalan film where uh, The Visit, I think it's called where they had the grandparents and it turns out it wasn't actually their grandparents and these people were just mentally unstable and insane. That scared a lot of people because it's like, oh my God, first you got to think of if you're a parent, you have kids and you drop them off at the wrong house, shame on you. But also it's about these people that have these disorders that I don't think the public, I think they're more scared. They don't know much about them. You know, I think that's a scare for a lot of people. If We talk about the politics and the message is that they just don't understand it. So that's why they're scared of it. Mm.
1: I mean I, I think I agree that uh, um that there is a very kind of strong subgenre if you will in the in movies that are kind of about the fear of mental illness in a way or the fear of the uh, uh, some uh, people who are kind of acting in a in an antisocial manner because of mental illness or or the or the idea that your world might you might be perceiving the world through this haze of some sort of psychological uh, illness yourself. Uh, but I think that there have always been horror movies like that. And I think that maybe what's different, you know, they're taking that subject. I think what's different maybe now is a is kind of sense is, that, is the fear of mental illness becoming kind of endemic within our society uh i mean you could argue that actually uh that's part of the fear of social collapse you know and that romero in a movie like the crazies was already exploring this idea that we all operate on some level of insanity that's known only to ourselves you know and it's only when there's huge pressure put on us as a society that these various Forms of insanity come to show themselves in the sort of dangerous or erratic behavior. Uh, I, I mean, I guess, and without wanting to be sort of too glib about this, I mean, there's the, the, the possibility that having gone through, we're going through, so it feels like we're going through a, a kind of fresh a period of great insert, insecurity and uncertainty. Uh, and of course, the pandemic. Uh, is you know an example of that you know the of it causing a huge such a huge disruption to society um that uh, people can't help but feel a, a great sense of anxiety insecurity instability arising from that and kind of wondering what what's going to happen next uh i'm pretty sure that a lot of horror films um, kind of tackling those feelings, maybe not necessarily as pandemic films about the pandemic or about viruses or anything like that, but t- uh, kind of tackling that feeling of psychological uncertainty or emotional instability, anxiety, and kind of anxiety that's created by this kind of social phenomenon. Uh, and I think a lot of horror films probably are dealing with
0: that at the moment kind of like dracula creation i mean dracula is immortal you know i think everyone's got a fear of death so everyone it's it's very appealing for a lot of people much like with the black cape and everything that he wears and the fangs it's pretty interesting but i always looked at it like in a more immortality aspect of like a lot of people are kind of aware that their time is limited and then they get to watch a movie about a person that has to Live this curse, but is it a curse? A lot of people question that because the guy can live forever.
1: Yeah. I mean, vampire movies have become very, very romanticized, haven't they? Yeah. They're sex symbols now. It's scary. Exactly. Yeah. They're almost kind of like anti heroes.
0: Blame Twilight.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, and when you kind of watch these movies, there's not really that much of a downside to being a vampire. I mean, there's so many advantages. <laughs> and not many downsides
0: you know uh side's so not going out in daylight that's about it exactly well yeah but not not you know
1: not all not all films kind of follow all of the rules do they um uh, actually i was watching a, a film from 1962 the kiss of the vampire an old hammer movie and the vampires go out in daylight there but only when it's a bit cloudy and they've got
0: umbrellas. (laughs) What do you think, have you had anything that's really changed your ideas of horror over the, like, let's say like past five years or past 10 years? I'm curious if you came across anything, because it seems like you'll watch a lot of older films. Uh, I'm more stuck on the newer times of things. I've seen a couple, like maybe I saw a John Wayne movie because I was interested in Howard Hughes. I like learning about that guy, and I was watching. I think I made it about an hour through, and I was like, no way. He cannot play Genghis Khan. There's no way. It's just it's a bad fit. Someone should have just did something about it. Um, but it seems like you're interested in a lot of the older films, so I'm curious if you came across anything in the newer area that you feel like would have changed your definition or understanding of horror in a sense. Maybe put new word or new uh, definition to the term
1: yeah i mean I, I don't really subscribe to uh the idea of post-horror that uh, has kind of been going around the last few years you know the idea that movies are move, you know horror movies are moving into new areas of horror because for me horror literature has always done that you know the idea that it's got always kind of like um expanding the boundaries or exploring the boundaries of uh, of what the genre is you know, uh, horror, horror fiction is 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 maybe because of the nature of writing a, a short story or writing a novel, uh, has always been kind of uh, uh, less kind of genre element kind of defined. You know, um <clears throat> where it's very difficult to actually say exactly what it is that's making this a horror story, but it is a horror story. So. Um, you know, a lot of critics have said, "Well, you know, these these kind of art house horror movies are really doing that. They're really pushing the boundaries of horror." And that may well be the case. But for me, horror literature has always done that. And you know, the, some horror movies of the '40s, like in the Val Luton movies of the '40s, have always done that. So for me, there's I've never really seen anything that's really kind of made me redefine what horror is. It's just you know, nobody, I don't know if it's even possible to reinvent the wheel at this stage, but I think it is possible to kind of add a few more spokes to the wheel, perhaps, or just duplicate spokes. Uh, uh, I mean, I have to say, I've been kind of disappointed. Maybe I've always, I'm always on the lookout for what you've described, you know, and, and something will be touted on social media or I'll I'll discover it myself and think, wow, that sounds like something really new, you know, (laughs) really new. I've never seen anything like that before. And I'll watch it and maybe it will start out breaking new ground, but inevitably kind of falls into some of the old, the old tropes, you know, I have to say movie like Talk to Me kind of did that for me. Yeah, you know, it kind of like, hey, it's kind of like it's kind. Yeah, you think no, it's not really kind of do- not really kind of doing it for me in the in the way that I thought it was going to be something.
0: Are you surprised that some horror films can actually I guess keep up with the times when it comes to let's say Jaws, that has been a horror movie and still probably one of the top ones I'd rate it, at least in my mind. For however long from its creation compared to where we're at today. It seems like everyone has heard the name Jaws. It's like a, kind of like a little bit like a household name. But also, if you ask someone, hey, have you ever seen Jaws? They're like, yeah, I've seen it. It's everyone has. It's gone around the block. They play it on AMC all the time. It's a great movie. I mean, however many they made. I think they made three, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe two. I I've only think I've seen two. More
1: than that. Probably
0: five. Something okay. like that. But the, the first two, I mean, they're fantastic so it's like everyone knows jaws you don't even as soon as you say jaws people are like oh yeah the shark yeah, yeah yeah but that's one that's lasted through when it was created to today i mean do you see any of that out there can you think of any that has lasted i would say the test of i will not say time but yeah test of time
1: yeah you know i mean let's think about jaws for a moment i mean there are many many other movies that I mean, you know, Jaws inspired that could be Jaws. You know, Jaws is basically a monster movie from yeah, the 50s. 100%. It's basically a monster movie from the 50s. But it's why fantastic. is that endured, you know, uh, whereas others haven't endured? And I guess part of it is because it's not, it's not just a horror movie. There are other elements in there that make it a great movie. You know, the the empathy you get with the main character, uh the kind of uh, Moby Dick aspect of it kind of gives it something different. Uh, the adventure of it, the comedy, the humor in it, uh, really helps the movie.
0: The way to scare somebody without actually showing the monster, like you mentioned earlier, when they're singing on the boat, they're singing, uh, show me the way to go home. And uh, the you hear the boats of the banging into the boat. They all get really, really silent. and You just see one of the boards break and a little leak starts springing. And it's like then the, the, it kind of pans out, shows the boat, and then it goes night, and then it's the next day. And they have to deal with all this water that's being brought into their boat. That's a very interesting, and I don't think you see a lot of it. I can only think of one other film that I've seen where they did a werewolf transformation but didn't actually show the guy transforming into a werewolf. And they never showed the guy the werewolf actually attacking the dude. They just showed the dude getting mauled up like you just, it would, the camera would be over on top of this guy who's flailing his arms all around. I was like, yeah, they probably saved a bunch of money not shooting or making a costume or doing anything like that. But it was also like you were more hearing the noises and that was enough to scare you.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, just going back to what you were saying about Jaws, I think that kind of un- underlined to me part of the appeal of the film, you know, that it's not just about the monster fighting the monster in the in the rubber costume you know that whole aspect of it of of them being alone on the boat the kind of nautical aspect of it the seamanship aspect of it uh i think that those are all things that probably fascinate people you know the idea of being out there on the ocean it's very pro- it's a very kind of primal also come kind of, in a way quite a spiritual idea you know you against the elements uh, but you know battling against this thing that's threatening your livelihoods threatening your family threatening your community and uh, that kind of goes way back to the sort of cavemen going out on a on a hunt you know so I think there are those those elements to that film um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is that a film has to be, it, it be extremely rich And work on so many different levels for it to connect on a really kind of primal you know primal basis with with people and uh, and the idea of trying to look at a film now and and, and think is that movie going to last you know the test of time in the same way it's very very difficult to do that Um, and so i don't i don't i Don't really attempt to do it. I mean, it's very, I guess I could turn around and say, Well, I saw this movie, and I think in 30 years we'll still be talking about it. Well, who knows? Who knows? You know, but you know, uh, I guess the, the, the thing with Jaws is it kind of also underlines the fact that it's not just the genre, um, it's the story. You know, that story would work well in any genre. I mean, look at a movie like Castaway, which is an with Tom Hanks.
0: That's kind of a horror. That's, that's, a, that's kind of a horror. Appeal
1: movie. to a movie like Jaws, you know, which is, you know, you strip away a modern society and could we still survive? And in fact, a movie I was watching last night and I've got to finish it tonight. was the society of snow, you know, that is based on the true story of the, um, a Uruguayan rugby team who, uh, whose plane comes down in the Andes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, so they're sort of like, you know, there's a handful of survivors. Uh, They're in the freezing cold. How are they going to survive with no food? And, of course, they have to resort to
0: cannibalism. Based on a true story.
1: It's based on the true story. It's been made a couple of times. It was made by Frank Marshall into a movie called Alive in the late 1980s, I think. And then I think there was a very low budget kind of exploitation movie in the seventies called Survive, a Mexican movie. Uh, but again, that just thinking of Jaws, it's, it's a very got some of the some some very similar similar themes. I suppose that kind of survival in the wilderness. Uh, can can modern modern person survive? What would what will they do? How much can they endure? And this, and again, the the triumph of the human spirit at the end, you know, which is part of the jaws theme as well. You know, the the human you know the human spirit will prevail at the end. But you know, Society of Snow, I think, is up for several Oscars, but it's basically a horror movie, and there are lots of horror. There's lots of horror in it. The horror of an air crash. Yeah. You know the horror of death around you. The horror of freezing to death, you know, of dealing with broken bones and illness and and all of that stuff—it's pretty heavy going. But again, it's all about us prevailing over that as human beings. What would so you maybe s- a movie like *Society of Snow* will people look back on that uh, and and and, and, st- and think of it as a, as a good as a as a as a good movie in a, in a few years time.
0: What would you say out of the three movie tropes that you could choose from man versus man, man versus nature, or man versus um... – oh, damn. There, there's three I just had in my head. I forgot it. Man versus nature, man versus man, and man versus monster. Which do you say w- – w- which would you think would be, in your perspective, I guess the most – focused in the horror genres are just out of all the films that come out usually it's, it seems to me it's like it's always man versus monster but to me the scariest personally is man versus nature i don't know if you've ever seen the gray but you can call that an action movie i call that a horror movie if it's in a very intense movie
1: yeah you know I, I just think the best films are the ones that combine all of those
2: three you know because they're so those three themes are so closely connected. Anyway,
1: we, you know the na- the idea of man versus nature, that the, often the monster arises from nature or some mutation of nature, uh, and the, often you know might ask get get man to question what it is to be human. You know, I and mean, you get a movie like The Hills Have Eyes, which is a classic horror movie, and you know that that movie has got all of those tropes in there. You know, because the cannibals are part of
2: nature, just kind of nature gone wrong, you know. And in order to defeat them, the the the, the
1: family from civilization, from modern civilization, has to kind of
2: devolve in a way into savagery uh, and kind of, kind of beat these cannibals at their own game. So there's
1: a sort of man-versus-man theme going on there as well. So I think when, it, when these movies really work well is when they integrate those three into a good sort of
2: metaphor. And the monster, I guess, often functions as that metaphor. You know, you get a good monster, a good antagonist,
1: whether it's human or, a, you know... Godzilla or who Godzilla is another one, I guess you know like Godzilla's so popular is that, that mutation of nature um, but yeah, I mean the, I think I think that it's it is an incredibly powerful theme
0: in in those kind of movies what would you say based on all the work you've done with harson that you've really analyzed or pulled from it through all your Research and just your your love of horror films, and then what would you say to anybody out there listening who would want to might examine horror films and try and look for something in horror films? What do you say that it, it's taught you and what it can teach people?
1: Yeah, I mean the thing is that I've never really just studied horror films on their own. It's always been horror films within a kind of cultural context. So for me, it's always been a kind of just kind of weighing up what horror films really mean in relation to what the wider culture is doing uh and also you know uh in terms of the way that uh, the media is controlled as well uh and what and, and the kind of messages that are, are kind of being put out alongside horror films um you know so for example if we go back to the 1950s The sort of propaganda that was kind of anti-communist propaganda that was kind of coming out at the time. How did uh, how did horror films kind of relate to that? You know, were they doing the cultural work of that propaganda? Were they working alongside that propaganda uh, in a sort of a, a conservative or even sort of reactionary way, or were they trying to subvert it? You know uh so there's there's always that dichotomy for me in terms of the genre that you, you you never really know how a how a horror movie is working um because it's always working in conjunction with what the culture is doing at the time you know and what the what the discourses are within our culture um so you know you can take another example back to the 70s, again in this country, and I mentioned it earlier, the sort of rabies scare, and the way that the government really, uh, in this country, really sort of put out this, uh, this. Uh, well, they basically created the scare. So um, we've seen that they were doing something about it, you know, uh, about the, the possibility of rabies coming over to this country. Um, but at the same time, film producers and novelists and publishers really capitalized on this on this propaganda you know so the books that were coming out were about society collapsing they're just kind of playing into this kind of government instilled paranoia Uh, and so for me the question is always what what's going on in our culture at the moment and what role is what role is genre cinema playing either in challenging that or uh, in sort of helping to propagate uh, you know the, the the kind of fears that are being instilled in us as, uh, as a, uh, in, in as a form of I guess I guess propag- propaganda is a very crass term but in terms of uh
0: Propaganda is a good word for it. That's what it is. It is <laughs> yeah, messaging you. So, I well, we don't 100%. Like using yeah.
1: because it's it's such it's such a crass term. Because it's you know what happens in the culture is so much more subtle than just propaganda, isn't it? But you know that there are certain discourses that that, that are sort of propagated, uh, and it's just it's just how the, how the genre is kind of working within that that, that those kind of
0: cultural discussions. Do you think that it's knowingly propagating the messages of the government, or do you think it's kind of like this? I I don't know. I I, I wouldn't say they're working together, but in a sense, like you know, that this is obviously a trending subject because it's being reported on. Why don't we make a movie about it and kind of capturing the times?
1: I think you know. I I think it is more what you said. uh, You know that kind of the, the, the the latter, really. I suspect that films that challenge the dominant ideology, the dominant discourse, do so in a conscious way because the filmmaker has actually been able to see what that discourse is and challenged it. But I suspect that those films that kind of go along with it or propagate it do so in a very, in a kind of unknowing way you know, because there isn't the self-awareness in a way to kind of see what that discourse is. They just kind of go along with it. Uh, and I think they go along with it under, in under that guise of what you said, that purely commercial, oh, this is what people are afraid of now, so let's play into that. We can make some money out of it. So I think that tends to be what's on the mind of most studios and, and filmmakers in terms of the those films that kind of really sort of play into... Play into the sort of the horror, the the dominant horrors, without in any way, um, uh, kind of, um, what's the word? Kind of uh, challenging those horrors or, or or really kind of investigating them in any real sense. They just kind of like uh,
0: play on them. Now, is that across the board, or is that just by specific country? Like, can you tell the difference between the United States and then maybe? England or the UK or Australia or any of those other countries out there?
1: You know, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily across the board, but I think that there is a tendency for, you know, for big, for, for large, the films that go, that are mainstream, in effect, mainstream movies, they've gone through a series of gatekeepers. You know, and those gatekeepers are not necessarily interested in challenging the status quo. That's true. You know, they just want to keep things as they are because they're making a lot of money out of it. So I have a, I have a sense that most mainstream big releases um are going to, very few of them are going to, uh, you know, challenge the, challenge the dominant culture in any way, shape or form. But I think there are, you know, in in other countries, uh the you know, there are elements of alternative cinema that come up through the horror genre. Uh through, as I say, the very self-aware filmmakers are often not part of the mainstream, you know, like some women filmmakers, some indigenous filmmakers. Uh, you know, a film like Blood Quantum, for example, you know, sort of indigenous native American horror movie about zombies. well, that that movie is going to want to talk about what it is to be a Native American. You know, there've been Inuit horror movies uh, as well, you know, and the filmmakers who want to talk about what it is to be an Inuit, uh, and you know, and their experiences, their lived experiences uh, within the society uh, that they that they uh, come up into. So I think what we get is really it's kind of like individual voices that kind of come out that are kind of like, in a way, again I hate to use the word protest, but there is a a kind of sense of challenge or confrontation, confronting what the norm is, you know. Uh, And those are the, those are the, you know, you get there are plenty that come out each generation, but I guess in terms of the classics of the '70s, the people like. Cronenberg and Romero, you know, they're the ones who, uh, uh, they're, they're not making, they were never make, ever going to make mainstream movies. They're always going to make kind of movies with a, with an individual alternative voice.
0: Well, John, I appreciate the time you gave me to talk on my show. Is there a place where people can find any of your links?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I, I guess the best place really to go is just onto my Twitter um account which is system shocks at system shocks and also uh i've got an amazon page as well where you can find links to all my books Uh, those are the best places really to 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 find my uh to find my writing
0: and i'll link all those in the description so people will be able to click on them check out some of your books and also follow you on twitter i followed you on twitter this morning Um, excellent i didn't know you had a twitter Most people are always like, oh, I don't do social media. I mean, I don't really do it either. Just kind of like I check usually, I don't know, if you get a message from a friend or something like that. But sometimes you come across good stuff. It's how I started finding out that like movies were going on there. I don't know, something with my algorithm tricked me up. I went to the movies once. The next thing I know, I'm getting movie trailer previews all the time now. And I'm actually pretty happy with it.
1: Yeah. Again, you know, it's like anything else. Use it it intelligently. Use it for information uh, and communication. Uh, and uh, and it's good. I mean, I've always found, I mean, I just self-published my latest book, 40 Cult Movies. and
0: Is The Big Lebowski on that?
1: No. I'll put it on the next one.
0: <laughs> that's said, one of my favorite that's, films. That's, all my t- that's my time favorite, uh, yeah. I love
1: that. That's one of those movies that you just, you know, every line of dialogue to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. But, um, yeah, well, I just self-published the latest book, 40 Cult Movies, and I just found that, you know, social media is just so important if you do something like that. And I think it's the same for film made. When you're in, working independently, social media is a really good tool, you know, because you can let people know that your work's there, you know. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's certainly helped me, I think.
0: Well, John, I'm going to make sure I link all your links in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for our next episode.